I invite you this morning to turn with me uh, to the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, if you have your Bible, but it's also in the bulletin. Uh, read with me the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars, that you saw my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. You'll notice at the beginning of the bulletin, there's a quote there from C.S. Lewis. And there he gives us a type of proverb, if you will. And he says, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. I think that's very helpful to understanding this morning's sermon text. I also believe it's very helpful to understanding the whole book of Revelation. Because what C.S. Lewis is speaking of there, he's talking about perspective. Perspective. Where you're standing is going to affect or influence what it is that you see. What you see. Because what perspective is, is how we view things. Think about for a moment, a little boy and his father go to a parade. And there the little boy is anxious and excited to see the celebration and the activities that will come down, the sirens, the bands, all the floats. 
And there they come in and, and look for their spot to watch the parade. And the little boy is surrounded by a crowd. He can hear everything that's going on. But what he sees is the back of people's heads, the back of people that are standing in front of him all around. His view is obscured. And so his perspective is, is that I can hear a parade, but I can't see a parade. I can't really see what's going on. And so the little boy looks up at his daddy and says, Daddy, I can't see. I can't see. And so the daddy picks up the little boy and puts him up on his shoulders. And there upon the shoulders, the little boy can see the parade. He says, boy, there's a for real parade going on. Why? Because he had a change of perspective. He's no longer standing where he once was. He has now been changed and lifted up on his father's shoulders that he can see what's before him. The things that blocked his view are now out of the way because he has a higher perspective. And that is exactly what takes place in Revelation. That's what takes place in Revelation. It takes place with John. John has a perspective. The church has a perspective from where they are standing. At that time, the church was being persecuted. There was an empire-wide persecution that was going on. Church members were seeing each other maimed, imprisoned, put to death, having their possessions taken from them. So they were in a bad way. And that's what they were seeing was the clutter of this world. And John, a leader of the church, probably around 95 years old, he sent off into exile to the Isle of Patmos. What was his perspective? What was his perspective where he was standing? But what Revelation does... It is God lifting us up from where we're standing on this earth and giving us his perspective. He's saying to us, do you see what I see? That's why when we come on Sunday morning to worship God, to worship God, I hope we realize that we're being invited to join into the worship that's already taking place in heaven now. Not simply in the future, but now. If God would take the veil of eternity and pull it back, what would you see? You would see the kingdom of God. You would see the Lord Jesus Christ reigning. We looked at the Great Commission, and there Jesus is ascending, and before he ascends, he gives a charge. He commissions the leaders of the church and the church on what they are to do to make disciples, to go and teach everyone what he's commanded. And there he tells them, I'll be with you always until the end of the age. That's now. That's not future. Jesus is now. And so what takes place here, we saw the very last part of our text. John was to write what is and what will be. And so much, we want to run to what will be. And what John was going to be shown is what is. What is. 
And so the church needs a change of perspective if they're going to be comforted. The church needs a change of perspective where they're not being, their sight is not being obscured by all the persecution and all the suffering and all the heartache, but where God lifts them up and puts them upon his shoulders and looks and sees the eternity of God's sovereign purpose and God's sovereign reign. And so we're going to look at that change of perspective, Lord willing, in three ways. Because when we have a change of perspective and what the church needs to know to be comforted in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering and tribulation, is that we're not alone. We're not alone. The second thing that we are to understand when we have a change of perspective is that Jesus is with us. Not simply Jesus is with us, but Jesus is with us. He truly is with us. And third, we're to see that the master is in control. The master of all eternity is the one who is in control. And so we look first at verse 9. And we see this movement, this change of perspective that takes place with John. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There John was being persecuted for his faith for teaching the word of God and proclaiming the life and the works of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine that? How would you feel that you now have been separated from that ministry, if you will, separated from the community of God's people and you're left all alone in an island, a deserted island, Patmos, that there you're left all alone, it seems. And as John begins to write and tell us about this letter, he begins with himself, but then he talks about the togetherness with the brothers. How are we together? How is the church together? The perspective. This is a beautiful perspective that John has. What he views is that his brothers and him, the people of God and John, that they are in a relationship, in a location that is fully dependent in Christ Jesus. And he gives us three ways, three descriptions of that location. And one is in tribulation. All the, the words there, in tribulation, in the kingdom, in the patience, and endurance, in Jesus Christ, they're all connected to being in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian, to be in the church? It means, one, you're in tribulation. Two, you're in the kingdom. And three, you're in the patience endurance of Christ Jesus. So what does tribulation mean? At the heart of the meaning of tribulation, what it means is trouble or affliction that causes pressure. It's just not, I'm bothered today but it is a suffering and an affliction that is pressing down upon you. Such a great weight. You don't know if you can bear it. 
You don't know if you can bear it. Think the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there praying, knowing the full experience of what is about to come. He is about to bear the judgment of God upon his shoulders for the sins of his people. And the description there is that he is in such great anguish and pain that he sweats drops of blood. That's pressure. That's pushing down upon the very person of Christ who is bearing the sufferings and the afflictions for his people, and he is being pressured in this world. Well, the church is partaking in that affliction, that suffering, that pressure. The persecution that was going on at that time, they were experiencing that. So much that that pressure, wouldn't it be easier to give up the faith? I won't have that pressure anymore if I just stop believing in God and stop preaching his word and stop speaking about Jesus Christ. And sadly, many did. Many did. But thankfully, many didn't. Many remained strong in the faith. But all of it is because of their location in Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus. We partake in the person of Christ Jesus. So you can almost feel a shift of perspective. First, it starts with John seeing himself. Then he rises up a little bit more and he sees his togetherness with the church. And then we're about to see he's raised up into the eternities where his perspective totally changes and the church's perspective will totally change. And the other way that John speaks about this togetherness with his brothers is in the kingdom. They are together under the rule and the reign of Christ, under his dominion. If we are truly in the church, we're under the dominion of Christ. Our lives don't belong to us. Our lives belong to the king of kings. And we are together in that. We are brothers. We're partakers in that relationship. And the third is in the patience, endurance that are in Jesus. Really, that one word means a steadfast perseverance. It's meaning you're going to go through it bad. And you're going to have to be patient with the suffering that's going to come. And you're going to endure as you see Christ endured. Christ persevered to the end, so you will persevere to the end. That was hope. That was encouragement to the church to have that kind of perspective. And if it left, if it was set there and it stopped there, I would encourage that as a perspective all of us need. All of us need. But what we see is that in verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. His senses, his spiritual senses, his spiritual sight, his spiritual hearing, his spiritual knowledge was lifted higher above what he possessed here upon this world, upon this land. It's kind of the same thinking of what took place with the Apostle Paul, that when he was taken up, into the third heaven. That means he didn't remain here trying to figure out what he was seeing. He was lifted up so he could have a perspective, God's perspective. So much that it almost is communicated that it's blurry. It's mysterious. 
Because only things that are that high belong to the knowledge of God. But yet God, out of his great mercy and his love, invites us to see what he sees. He invites us to come into that reality. To come into that knowledge. And so there, John is lifted up. His perspective is changed. And then the one sense that we first encounter here is hearing. Hearing. And what he hears is a voice like a loud trumpet. If you ever heard a trumpet, which I'm sure we all have, it's an unmistakable sound. When it blows, it fills the entire room. It fills all of your hearing. You can't but pay attention that a trumpet is blowing. That's what it's saying here. Pay attention. God is making an announcement. John, wake up. Your ministry is not over. You are not simply out here and exiled, away from me. I haven't abandoned you. Hear this message and go give that message to my church. You are not alone. You are not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not just simply with the brothers and the church of all ages, but you're with the king of kings that the trumpet announces. And so Jesus commissions John. Jesus commissions John and says here, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. These seven churches are historical churches. I've been to many of the places where the ruins lie, where the seven churches are. These seven churches, they begin on the west coast of Asia Minor, Turkey, and there from Ephesus, it goes up. It's kind of like a trade route. And it goes up the coast, and then it kind of curves down, and it creates a circuit. So it was the perfect way for the letters and the teaching of the gospel to go out among the church. And that was the churches that John served. And so Jesus is saying, I take notice of those churches, the historical churches. But then we see this number once again, seven. Seven. You're going to see over and over the number seven. Because in that description, the number seven, you see the perfection, the completeness of the church. You see the perfection and the completeness of when you see the seven lamps of the Holy Spirit of God. God's the only one who's perfect and complete. And so what Jesus is saying here is I'm not only speaking to the historical church, I'm speaking to the church of all ages, the perfect, complete church, the one true church of God. My message goes to them. John, write this in a book. I commission you to write this in a book. There at that moment, John hearing that voice, his reality was totally changed. The impact that had to be upon his life at that moment was, i got to get up and get going. I've got to start writing. It could have been, I'm too old to write. Or it could be, I'm excited to write. Or it is, he's in fear. And we'll see that later on. But here John, his whole reality changed. Take, for instance, I'll tell you a story I told two years ago. 
in one of my sermons. I didn't finish it, but I'll finish it today. Okay, I pray I'll finish it today. And it's something that's really impacted our family. That when we were uh, hiking in the Grand Canyon, if you know anything about hiking the Grand Canyon up on the upper rim, the only way to get down is to get on a bus that the park provides and it brings you back down. And if you miss that bus, you're stuck. You're stranded. And so we have been hiking probably 12 miles that day. And so as we came, we knew it was getting dark. But we said, we got another mile and a half we can go. We got time. And so we kept hiking instead of waiting at the bus stop. And we start hiking. And then we come to something I always refer to as the metaphor of what happened. We come to this abyss. That's what it was called. This great uh, gap in the land that's called an abyss. And there it was kind of a metaphor that, uh uh-oh, something is about to happen. And so as we cross the abyss and we come out on the other side, we look around. There's no one there. We're all alone. It's getting dark. We then say, oh, we better call somebody. The moment I picked up my cell phone, it went dead. Cell phones were all dead. We had very little water left. And I wasn't pleased, (laughs) to say the least. And so, but our reality of that moment was we're all alone. We're stranded. How am I going to take care of my family? I don't have a tent. I don't have a sleeping bag. I don't have food. I don't have provision. We had to make a choice. Hike down the rim of the mountain again, 12 and a half miles, or go find somewhere in a secure location and sleep. So we decided we're going to make our way down the mountain, and then we'll stop if we get tired. But we're worried about mountain lions because it's pitch black, So we're trying to make ourselves as big as we can, yelling and screaming. That was our reality. It was a hopeless place. Then all of a sudden, in the distance, we heard something. We heard something. We're thinking, please be a bus. That changed the reality of the moment, didn't it? Didn't it? That changed the reality of the moment that, oh, we may be saved tonight. We may not be sleeping on the floor tonight and worried about the animals pouncing on us. And as the sound got greater and greater and closer to us, that reality was becoming real, if you will. It was authentic. It was there that we had the only way down the rim that day. And we got on the bus, and the bus driver said, I think I'm the last bus on this mountain tonight. So the reality was for real at that moment. It wasn't really actually, in some sense, what was really going to happen. But at the moment we were suffering and going through that affliction, it was real to us. But then that hearing is what changed it all. That's what takes place here with John. Once he hears the trumpet, the reality that I'm alone on the Isle of Patmos and I'm contemplating my relationship with my brothers in Christ Jesus. We do that now in the church. And it's a good thing that we say we come to God's word and it says this is how we partake in Christ Jesus. But we ignore the eternal realities of Christ Jesus. Right? And that's what Jesus does here. 
He brings John up in the spirit. He enters into a, in a state of spiritual ecstasy so that he can see the perspective of God. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us to that height, we wouldn't see it. We couldn't see it. And that's what takes place here. And so that change of perspective brought through hearing and altering of John's reality. It was transformed, and it should be for us. How does it alter your reality now? Does it give you pause when you think about the things that you're suffering with, that you're afflicted, that you're troubled with today? That if Christ is speaking to you, Shouldn't that bring great comfort to you? Shouldn't that give you great peace? And so then we move to our second point. We move to our second point where the sense of seeing comes to the forefront. I'll warn you now, we're going to get in some deep waters. There's a lot of imagery here that needs to be reserved and preserved. We can't just kind of kind of go by it quickly. We've got to let some of the weight of it set upon us because that's what God wrote. That's what John wrote. That's what he was commissioned to write by Jesus to the church. So it must mean we need to see this. We must need to have some comprehension of what this is. So I'm not going to belabor the imagery just going to summarize it to try to give us some instruction. And at the end, we'll come to say, this is what we really should understand from this if the imagery is too much for us. <clears throat> so here, we see in verse 12, it says, Then I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me. That's what takes place, is that John now wants to see who it is that is speaking to him. Who it is that is speaking to him. And so he turns to see the voice. But notice what the first thing is that he sees. He sees the seven golden lampstands. That's what John was supposed to see first. He was supposed to see the seven golden lampstands. We saw in verse 20 who the seven golden lampstands are. They're the church. They're the seven churches that John is commissioned to go and write to. And I would argue and encourage you to see that the seven churches are representative of all the church. Some would even say, that the church through all the ages, you can go to one of those historical churches and the problems that are going on in that church and the correction that Jesus is going to give to that church can be present, can be found present in you, in one of, one of those churches in the churches that exist today. But they make up their representative of the entire church, which doesn't exclude their historical historical position because they are real churches 
at that time real thriving churches in which have members and communities which John served. And so there, if we just simply said it's back then, has no relevance for us today, then we miss the point. We're limiting the message of Jesus to be for then and not now and in the future. And so the message of Jesus comes to John. And John turns to hear the voice because the announcement, the prophetic announcement, anytime you hear that trumpet, there's an announcement that's going to be made. Pay attention. There's a prophetic announcement that's going to be made. And what we mean by that is that God's about to deliver a message. God is going to speak. Thus saith the Lord. And so John, who's being commissioned like the prophets of old, they were commissioned with a message to go and send to God's people. The prophet stood before the people representing God, representing themselves, and representing the people who they speak to. To be a true prophet of God, that's what had to be in place. It wasn't just John speaking before the church as one who was just expressing an opinion. He was sent by Jesus to deliver a message to represent Jesus. To say, here is what you as the church needs to hear. And so when John turns, he sees the seven golden lampstands. And so if we looked at Old Testament terminology, the lampstand comes up in Exodus, in Numbers, in Zechariah. And what it is, it is the Old Testament furniture within the tabernacle and the temple that is before the presence of God that emanates the presence of God as the lamps are placed upon it. Now kind of wrap your hands around that one because that's who Jesus is saying the church is. You are the furniture in this world of God's presence. Your function is to be before the presence of God and to emanate the light and the presence of God. What was the commission of Jesus? It wasn't go out and just keep it quiet, but it is go and tell the world about me. Go and make disciples. Go and spread the light of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, God, before the world and make disciples. Because I'm with you always through the end of the age. So the golden lampstands are the church that we are to be a vessel, a, a furniture, if you will, that is before the worship of the presence of God and emanate that presence. Because anytime you look at that in the Old Testament and you see the lampstands, there was a bowl upon it or there were lamps upon it. There was a pouring in of the Holy Spirit. It was symbolic of pouring in the Holy Spirit to keep the light going. You never wanted the light to burn out. Keep the light aflame. Keep it going forth and producing. But notice, notice the very next thing, what John sees is in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. One like a son of man. There's that language of Daniel. There's the language of Daniel saying that what John is seeing 
is what Daniel saw. He saw what looked like a man. He looked like a man, and that one who looked like a man, according to Daniel, he's the son of man, and he's going to come before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is going to give him the kingdom, and it's going to be a kingdom forever. And who's the Ancient of Days? It's God. It's the eternality of God, and the Son of Man is the God-Man, Jesus, that comes before the Ancient of Days, and he takes possession of the kingdom. And there he gives a charge. He gives a commission. And there he will be with us till the end of the age. Until he comes. Until he comes. <clears throat> and so what does that son of man look like? Because what we're seeing here is that point two is that Jesus is with us. And so the question should come back, do you really see who Jesus is? Because that's what John is describing. He's given a word picture. And he's saying, whoever this son of man is, this is what he looks like. That hope that was given in the prophecy of Daniel, that there would be one that would take the kingdom and reign it everlasting. That he would reign with an everlasting kingdom that would not have any end. That's who I'm looking at. And church, where is he? He's among you. He's keeping the light aflame. He's keeping the light burning. He's trimming the lamps. He's keeping the oil flowing through his Holy Spirit that the light would emanate from the church. So that tells us as a church, we are fully dependent upon our master's work. We are fully dependent upon our master's presence. And that comforts us because that tells us Jesus is with us. And what does it mean that Jesus is with us? We first see that in the description of how is he clothed? He's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. What that means is he's a high priest. He's a high priest. He's among the churches, walking among the lampstands, doing the service of a priest to keep the light aflame in the church. If we could really grasp, and I told you we're going to go deep, going to go in a little bit of deeper waters, just hang in there with me, that if we could really grasp that, that should alter our whole reality. That should change everything that we think about in the church. It should raise it up to another level. <clears throat> and it also said this son of man, his hairs of his head were white, were white like wool, like snow. And we heard in the description of Daniel, that was the description of the Ancient of Days. And so whoever the Son of Man is, this God-man, he is the eternal God. He is the ageless one, has been there from all the ages, and he's pure and he's holy. He's pure and he's holy and his eyes like a flame of fire. Anytime we see fire, it's going to tell us about judgment. That when Jesus looks, when the Son of Man looks, he looks with an all-consuming fire that disposes of anything unjust, anything false, anything that is against, that is not, that is not uh, pleasing to his sight. Can you imagine standing before a judge like that, 
And he looks at the church with those eyes. He looks through the world. His feet were like burnished bronze. So in other words, his feet were weighted metal that had been put through the fire. And there we see the trials and the tribulations that Jesus would go through. His life was tried and put through the fire. And we who partake in Jesus, what do we promise? We're never promised the better roses. We're promised that we will have trials and tribulations in this world. And just as Jesus was put through the fire, his feet are weighted in the gravity of the person of who he is, and he will not be moved. And when he comes across his enemies, he will dash them to pieces with the weight of his being. The weight of his being. And his voice like the roar of many waters. This is a description of what's in Ezekiel in chapter 1, verse 24, and chapter 4, verses 23. And to summarize it, it's the description of the voice of the Lord Almighty. And in his hand he held seven stars in his right hand. The right hand is a position of authority, of power. And the seven stars, according to verse 20, are the angels of the seven churches. And in that word angel, we really understand messengers. Messengers. They are the ones who deliver the message to the seven churches. They are put in an office and a position, and I believe they're the pastors that Jesus holds by his authority. His authority, the pastor of the church, who is responsible to deliver his message to his people. And ministers of God should always have that before them, that Jesus, the Son of Man, who is among his church, He's ruling his church. He descends the message to his church. And he has authority and power over his church. And from his mouth came a two-edged sword. In other words, the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Son of Man, it cuts perfectly. It will pierce every heart. The truth dispels falsehood. And all that was remaining as the sword went in, when it comes back out, it cuts it perfectly. Cuts it perfectly. Think about how Jesus repelled Satan and his enemies with the word of his mouth. He put them to shame with his word. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. In other words, the glory of his countenance. Who could look upon the glory of God? What does Jesus say? Is that if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. He is the glory of the Father. He is the expressed image of the Father. So who is John really seeing? Who is John really seeing? If we cannot... If we cannot simply understand everything, these images, which none of us can, but if they're too weighty, just just listen to the summation. The one who is speaking to the church 
is none other than the king who has everlasting dominion, the eternal God, the great high priest and judge who governs the church with all power and glory. Are you persuaded by what you see? The words that are given to John to write and deliver to the church, are you persuaded with what you see in the word picture that John is given and provides? Because John is speaking in order to encourage the church, to alter the reality of the church, to persuade the church to see Jesus Christ. Never forget, that's what the book of Revelation is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the full disclosure of who Jesus Christ is. It shows the very person of Jesus Christ. John was a disciple that leaned upon the breast of Jesus. Of course, he knew who Jesus was. But here in this description, it takes all the Old Testament descriptions of the deliverer that would come at the end of the age to judge the world and to reign forever and projects it upon this one as the Son of Man. The Son of Man who was given the kingdom by the Ancient of Days has now become the Ancient of Days. He takes on the very description of the Ancient Days, the eternal God, the eternal God. And so are we persuaded by that? We have to ask ourselves, how do we see Jesus? Do we see Jesus simply as a good moral man? He cares for his church. He's a good shepherd. He tends to the needs of the church. But do we see him in the glory of his person like John is describing here? I really encourage that as I prepared for the sermon for many, many, many weeks, and I, and I struggled with how to approach this sermon, that the glory of God was so heavy upon me that I wanted to express, I was excited. I was excited to bear that burden, to come before the church, to say, get a hold of this Jesus. Because this is the Jesus worth trusting. This is the Jesus who saves. This is the Jesus who delivers. And so all of you, who are in power and bondage to the captivity of sin, he is overcome. And so look at how John responds. How he responds in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his his feet as though dead. Because Exodus tells us that no man can see God and live. John saw God. He was lifted up from a perspective of seeing his his togetherness in Christ Jesus and lifted up into the eternities as the veil of eternity was pulled back that he could see Jesus. The real Jesus is with us. And that message needed to get to the church. That message needed to get to the church. And the last point, our third point, is the master is in control. The master is in control. As there John falls down, he doesn't have any strength. 
And this is very indicative of what happens with the prophets of the Old Testament. When God comes to commission the prophets of the Old Testament, they just fall down. It's a weight too much that we can bear. I'm, I'm afraid of what that means. And there, Jesus places his right hand upon him and says, fear not. I am the first and the last. In other words, everything begins and everything ends with me. So anything that's happening in between, it's not outside of my control. I'm in control. I'm in control. I have the power. And the living one, I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. What is it that Jesus has power over? He has power over life, power over death. No matter what the Roman emperors do to the church, they don't have the power to take the life of anyone who believes in Christ Jesus. That power belongs to Christ alone. And I have the keys of death in Hades. The power of death. Where is your power, O death? Where is your sting, O grave? If Jesus has overcome the grave, then you have all power of the resurrected life. The resurrected life. And so there, when we hear these words, Jesus says, Write therefore the things that you have seen and those that are. Please grasp that. That the book of Revelation is not simply about what will be, but what are. And those that are to take a place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so we ask, how is that knowledge power? Because it says that death, you have no power over me. World, you have no power over me. Kingdoms of darkness, you have no power over me. Sin, you have no power over me. Because Jesus has overcome, I have overcome. And there the message that would be sent to the church is not simply just hear, not simply just see, but know the risen Lord and the power of his resurrection. For no matter what they do to you, in this world, no matter what happens to us in this world, of how much we suffer, how much we're afflicted, how much pressure we feel, that we have the Lord Almighty bearing the weight of everything that is pressing upon us to deliver us, that we may proclaim that I am an overcomer. May God be pleased to bless the preaching of this message.